The weather is finally getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune. Luckily, I found Quince. Now I've got a lineup of timeless pieces that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year, like premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. The best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost like the middleman that passes the savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I love that. I am so excited. I have two gorgeous, lightweight cashmere sweaters coming my way. One camel, one heather gray. I cannot wait to wear them in the warmer months when it's chilly in LA. Throwing them over my shoulders. Going to look so cute. Can't wait. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash judging Megan for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash judging Megan to get free shipping and 365 day returns quince.com slash judging Megan. And now back to the podcast. Hi, everybody. You are listening to judging Megan with your host, Megan judge. I have to keep if you're watching this on YouTube. Thank you. I have to keep my glasses on. I'm super vain. Sorry, Dr. Shaw, but I am. Um, Well, you look, I hate the way I look in glasses. Anyways, Let me just start out by saying something before I introduce my beautiful guest. I am under the weather today. I have a little bit of like, I have a skosh of a cold. Skosh is my favorite word, Dr. Shaw. And I was so excited about recording this today that I'm like, I'm going to power through this. I feel like dog do. I even had, like, I took all the drugs, everything. So if I'm a little bit high on Dayquil, I apologize in advance. But I just want my listeners to hear all of these things today, all of the things. And I need all of the things because I'm about to lose my marbles it, as I go into, I've been in perimenopause. But as I progress through the stages of getting to be an older, an older distinguished woman, let's put it that way. Um, I am going to introduce my guest right now, Dr. Shari Ari Najab. Did I say it right? So beautiful. I'm so smart, you guys. Who goes by Dr. Shaw? We're going to be calling her Dr. Shaw all episode because who knows when the day quill is going to actually wear off. Dr. Shaw is a board certified OBGYN. She is a urogynecologist with a menopause subspecialty. Is that all accurate? Sounds Really good. Yes. Okay, good. Okay, good. Um, and I did that on Dayquil. So I feel like I got, I got like a little bit of I feel like I need some Dayquil to like, you know, step it up with you. (laughs) Well, I mean, thank God for Dayquil because otherwise I would just be passed out in my bed. We've all been put here for a reason and we all deserve acceptance. Judging Megan with Megan Judge. I'm a trauma survivor from a really young age, and I have been diagnosed with complex PTSD in the past few years. I've been surrounded by death and abuse much of my life. I've been dragged through the mud and have been to the point of not wanting to go on anymore. 
Through my interviews with other survivors, I've learned that there is a way out. From recovering to surviving and thriving, we all have the strength to come out the other side. You are listening to Judging Megan. Why I am so thrilled and excited to have you on is because I feel as if there's a few things. And I mean, I like to go on my soapbox in the beginning of episodes and throughout. I... I am angry. Like, I think we all are as women. Yes. Right? We are. As a practitioner, I've been angry for 15 years. So oh, I'm good. like, I'm, I'm glad that we're going to finally let it out. Go ahead. And also, I love that you're a firecracker. We had a prep call this week with um, your lovely team, Chelsea and Jody, And um, and I was like, I love this lady. She, I'm a patient. I hope you'll take me on. Because we as as females are treated so poorly. So basically, this is how it goes. If you've seen the the Barbie movie, by the way, this is a yes. perfect, right. Yes. It's a perfect summation okay. of how women are treated. So basically, we there's that whole speech, and it's we have to be pretty, but not too pretty. We have to be smart, but not too smart. We have to dress a certain way. We have to act a certain way. And at the end of the day, when it's all over, we have our babies, right? And then we're just kind of supposed to like get a pair of clogs, wear like a Chico's traveler suit, a chunky (laughs) necklace, big chunky earrings and some compression socks and like just go out into the woods somewhere or like nobody wants to see us anymore. Am I am I wrong? No, I mean, this is like, this is how it's been. Can I just tell you how angry I am too? I started actually practicing you know, 15 years ago. But let me take you back to when I was a resident in OBGYN, where urogynecology didn't actually even exist, which means that all these women who have problems with urogyne, with their bladder, with leaking, with all this stuff had to go to someone who's trained in men. I'm talking 15 years ago. That is not that long ago. When I'm standing there and I'm thinking, why is this woman who has come in multiple times because she had a uh, leaking of urine and she had um, urinary tract infections being treated inappropriately because they were treating her like a man? They just considered the penis the same as the vagina, and it's not. Our urethras in our vagina, that's how we pee. So our anatomy is completely different, and we have menopause that changes our tissue, and yet we were being treated with antibiotics and antibiotics. That's just one example. But and also, then, also we were treated with antidepressants. Oh yeah, well that's of course because which, because it's, it's kind of like we're thro- like it's not right. It's so wrong that for years and like forever, yeah. and it's only until recently with my queen Oprah and some of these other people that they're right. They're coming. Right. They're they're saying, listen, like we thank God for Botox and all the advances in beauty and cos- cosmetics. We want to match on our insides what we yeah. are able to do now with plastic surgery and all the other things on our outsides. We don't want to um, be thrown away when we turn 50 years old or 45 or 40. Well, yeah, right? because now 40 and 50 is the new 30, right? Yeah. This is where women are becoming like at the top of their careers or maybe even making a career change. And now they have to deal with this pause it's not a pause. It's a change. It's a complete 
change of everything about you. And it's putting you into like a new body now. And we're just, we don't even know what to do with it. And you know why we don't know what to do with it? Because only 20% of people in medical school are even trained on anything. Doctors, half of the doctors don't know how to help you. They kind of want to, but of course they're on their 15 minute timeline. So they don't have time to actually ask you what is happening. Why are you foggy? Why are you hot? Why? Here's a medication. Here, let's go. Bye. And that's not how it should be. This is a really complex problem and it's a it needs a complex you know, response to it. And that's that's what's been missing. And I Let can't believe you it's finally coming. Sorry yeah. to knock over. No. We'll Why? do that a lot, by the way, because I, I do too. Um I think, and I know this is a fact. So for men as they age, how long has the little blue pill been around? Twenty plus oh. years? Yeah, 20 plus years. Of course, that came out way before anything for women. So yeah. the funding that they have, they've always had funding for men, but right. yet because we're women, yes. they don't put the research and the funding into studying menopause. Exactly. So, uh, exactly. And coverage. Insurance companies covered Viagra. They wouldn't cover so many things that are important for women. For example, vaginal estrogen cream. When I first started... The miracle that that is, when I first started, you couldn't get a tube less than 300 bucks. Why would a woman have to pay 300 bucks and his Viagra gets covered and then she's having pain with sex because now he's able to do it at like whatever age. And it's been a struggle and it's been a fight. And now we're finally getting it covered. And so women can afford it. I used to send my patients to Mexico to go get the estrogen cream. Yes. No. Mexico or Canada because they couldn't afford it. Who can afford a tube every every month for 300 bucks? You can't. And insurances kept not covering it. Not, oh, this is dangerous for women. What? You know? And this is where the WHI, the World Health Initiative, Women's Health Initiative that came out in 2002 was such, it was just such a disservice to women, honestly. Yes. And it put women in such fear of estrogen and I mean, I don't know if we have time, but I can, I can. No, give we, you a we have a full hour. So let's go backwards a little bit and talk okay. about that. Cause I, I think women in general are, we're so afraid of, of what, like, I don't want to get breast cancer. I don't want right. to get ovarian cancer. I don't want to get, because we have been taught from eighties, nineties, two thousands, my mom was on HRT for 30 years. And let me tell you something. My she mom. Good. Yeah, she's 80 years old. If you saw her. No, but I know any woman who walks in my office, when they look that good at 80, I'm like, you're on hormone therapy. She, <laughs> yeah, I don't know if she still is, but Pat looks good. She just turned 80. She still does Pilates Woo! five days a week. And she, yeah, she's maybe had a little work done. Mom, I'm sorry. Don't listen to this episode. I'm sorry <laughs> to say that. Um, but it, it, it makes such a huge difference. And, and honestly, I want you to touch on the history of that, but also the fear that women have of going on HRT and also some of the new developments as far as, um, preventing Alzheimer's, um, all the things that have come out in recent years about why it could be beneficial for women. If you can just go, go there for me. So not to date myself, and I hate giving years, but yeah, around 1999, um, I was being trained 
Yeah. So I was, as I was in training, I, I remember, first of all, we never talked about um, hormone replacement or anything. At that time, a lot of women were on some form of hormone replacement. And I remember the night that the, uh, the WHI study came out. I was in a restaurant in New York City, and this woman next to me, beautiful, on hormones, she's like, should I go off my hormones? I heard you guys talking. You're an OBGYN, right? And I was like, what? I don't know. Do you go off your hormones? But that's what happened. Everybody went off their hormones. Like, all doctors just, like, cut it off, which is the worst for a woman. You, you can't just shut it down. It's like taking your ovaries and pulling it out of your vagina. It's really mm -hmm. horrible. So yeah. let's talk about the WHI study. So the idea of the study was they wanted to understand cardiovascular risks in really what for men, tell you the truth, what they really wanted to know is what, why are women, why are women living longer than men? So is there some kind of, and cardiovascular is a big, you know, killer at that point. So they're like, well, it's probably the hormones. It's like, the, that's what we have different. So let's take a bunch of women who were 64. That was the average age is 64. So now they've almost 10 years after menopause. So they took these women at 64, they took a whole bunch of them and they put them on estrogen, just pure estrogen because they didn't have a uterus. Then they put a whole group on estrogen and progesterone because you have to have both if you have a uterus. And I'll explain that later if we need to. And then they just took a whole group that's not. So now we have these three groups and they followed them for like a good uh, six to 10 years was the average time. And then they looked at all their medical stuff. So the day this came out, here were the results. Basically, in the group that had just estrogen, there was no increase in breast cancer, no increase in breast cancer. The increase was in the estrogen and progesterone group. The increase in the estrogen and progesterone group was eight more breast cancers in every 10,000 women. So in the nothing group, 10, uh, you know, 30 women got breast cancer out of 10,000. In the estrogen progesterone group, 38 women got it. Yes, the numbers were, I mean, they were enough to like really take a pause. But first of all, the estrogen group didn't have an increase, but it's like estrogen got the bad rap. So in the group that was just estrogen, we had decrease in colorectal cancer um, and a decrease in uh, bone uh, fractures, hip fractures, you know, the whole osteoporosis picture. And at the very end, even though there was more breast cancer in the group with the estrogen progesterone, mortality rates, meaning that you actually die earlier, happened most in the group that didn't have hormones. So really, it just is it's crazy to me that it just, you know, it turned and, and became such a different story. And I kept reading the study and I kept saying, well, why are we actually going off? I still don't get it. But anyhow, that was the big thing. So, um, you know, at that point, they had to stop uh, the, the um, trial, you know, discuss all this stuff. There definitely was an increase in um, uh, stroke and heart attack in the estrogen progesterone group and a very small in the estrogen group, which is um, in a way expected because as we grow older, we have slowing of our blood no matter what. 
And that slowing allows like sludge to be formed. So if you already have high cholesterol or high triglycerides, you're at an increased risk of a stroke or a heart attack, no matter what, whether you're on hormone or not. And hormones just make your blood a little bit slower. So that's the reason that if you have that history, you know, we have to be a little more cautious. It still doesn't mean you cannot go. But if you've had an actual stroke or a heart attack, then, you know, you want, there are so many other options, even though hormone replacement is the best. Yeah, it makes sense, though, because as we age, I mean, I know I'm very upfront, by the way, my audience knows this with um, my own health history and everything pretty much. But I in my family, high cholesterol runs in our family. OK, so I, I don't know. I know most women struggle with the high cholesterol if you have that genetic component. Yes. And as we age, your cholesterol tends to go up. Am I correct on that? Yes, you're you're very correct. And if you have the genetic component, it's like almost like no matter what you do, it's really hard to bring it down. But yet they did all kinds of studies in terms of looking at the calcium, you know, carotid calcium and all these different studies with women on various estrogen um, uh, formulations. And they have not actually correlated it as of yet. So even though in that study it showed it, there's been 23 years of other studies that have shown other facts that are, you know, that, that seem more physiologically um, acceptable to me. And like you read those studies and you're like, yes, this makes sense. Why are we taking the hormones away? But it really, it really took the country, I mean, almost about, it's really hormones have been starting to talk be talked about in the past three to four years. Yeah, you know, before that, the fear was still so high. I mean, patients would come in and they would tell me about all this stuff, all these. I, I'm tired. I, you know, my body joints ache. My hair's falling out. I'm not really having hot flashes. Some people don't have hot flashes, but that doesn't mean they're not going through perimenopause. And they're having all these, and I, you know, it's. I don't feel like having sex at all. You know, he wants to have sex, and I'm like, all right, I'll just do it. But then it hurts. Mm-hmm. And, you know, all that stuff. And I'm like, well, your best bet is hormone therapy. Oh, no, no, don't even speak about it. Like, women wouldn't even let me take the time to explain it. They were so scared. Because oh, no, no, my mom had breast cancer. Yeah, people have been traumatized yeah. by news that's not accurate. I mean, it's so common. I mean, this is yeah. like, I, I'm trying to think of an analogy and I can't right now. That must be the day call. But yeah. what I'm going to say is the following. I talked, we had that prep call the other day and I was like, um, Jesus, take the wheel. Because I know for a fact that I am in full fledged uh, perimenopause. I'm going to tell my audience, I think I've already touched on this. So a few years ago, I'm going to give my own stuff that I'm going through as somebody that's going through perimenopause. Um, I had a giant fibroid. I had it removed. I also had an ablation. So I, I, there's, when you do an ablation, it's very rare that you get a period after that. So you can tell me if that's accurate. What age were you? When did, what age did you I'm get not, I'm not giving my age because. Oh, okay. <laughs> Okay, so if you got an ablation earlier than 40. Late, late, late 40s. I'm going to tell you that. Now. Um, but the the what happened was, and I love my my OB gyne. I've been seeing her. She delivered both my kids. Shout out, Dr. Suriel. I love you. Um, oh, she delivered my kid. 
Uh, what? <laughs> I love yeah, yeah Doctor Sherry. Naomi Sherry in New York. That's why I love um, <laughs> So she, so she, I had the fibroid removed. They could not get the whole thing because of where it was located. And then I started to get a period again. And now I'm at the point where my period is so bad. And if I do have male listeners listening today, I'm sorry. Maybe you should educate. I love my male listeners, but you should be educated on this because I'm going to tell you, I try to talk to my husband about it and he doesn't, it's not like he doesn't want to know, but he just doesn't understand. And it's really hard for women to explain to men why all of a sudden we were like becoming a little bit cray cray. Um, I, so the fibroid grew back and now in a night I will go through a giant hospital grade pad four times a night. Oh, and I became so anemic that they can't even operate on me. So I've had two blood infusions at Cedars and, um, and I'm trying to schedule the hysterectomy, but I keep putting it off. Cause I'm like, I just don't, I don't want to do it, you know? And I, I'm sure I have listeners that can relate to the fibroid thing, but also to the part of it. That's like, why, like we need other options. I can't yeah. go on HRT or maybe I can because they don't want my fibroid to grow even. I mean, it's basically like I'm going to have to have a third C-section to get this thing out. Yeah. Um, so that is just like my experience on what I'm going through, but I don't have the hot flashes. But I told you the other day in a joking manner, my temper, my anger, especially in a car, like, don't yeah. put a bunch of women in traffic that are in perimenopause and not <laughs> on HRT because things like that wouldn't sure. usually bother me are like, I, it's like, I can't control how mad they make me. And so I'm like, this all must be connected. So I know that was a mouthful, but can you give, give me a little input on that? And I'm sure my listeners would want to know that as well. So in terms of the, you know, the fibroid and the bleeding, it's hard for me to comment because I, I, I really, I need to take a bigger picture in. I do need your age. It does make a difference. Yeah, we'll need- talk offline. <laughs> okay, yeah. Um, you know, I do need an exam. I do need like to look at if you had an MRI because that really gives you an idea. Yeah. Um, but there are, there's still, I mean, you know, I don't know how anemic you became, you know, like, did they ever try a Mirena IUD or anything like that in there? That's another thing that can, no. it's kind of like an ablation. Ablation does, women after about four to five years, if they've had it done early, can restart bleeding. I've had patients like that. So that's why we usually do it's like mid to late 40s if you're going to have it, because then mm-hmm. you hope to go to menopause after. But um, besides, and that is true, estrogen can make um, fibroids grow. So that does happen. Um, but then, you know, you kind of do a, a plus and minus and you figure out, you know, how much is it going to grow in how long? Like, is that worth it still for me to not to feel like shit all the time? You yeah. know, like it's so I don't think anything in medicine, we really, there's so much we don't know, I think. And I don't think anything is black and white. There's, there's, there's ways to look at it differently. And that's why like every doctor is different and we're all trained differently. Mm-hmm. It's, it's interesting, even though we're all kind of in a, in a path, 
it's different. I don't know what it is, but different medical schools teach differently. So, um, so you're going to get a lot of opinions. So I always tell my patients, if you don't like what I'm telling you, it's okay. Go and talk to someone else. See if that makes sense to you. If that makes more sense to you, take the path. You know, like you got to feel right about it. Like if you're telling me I really don't want to get a hysterectomy, maybe that's not the right thing for you. You okay. still, you know, you still have to put the picture together. And I mean, if you were like right now in front of me bleeding to death, that would be a whole different picture. Yeah. But you know what I mean? It's controlled enough that you're sitting here talking to me. Yeah. So- and also, and also just to piggyback on this, part of the reason I'm bringing it up is because I had no idea until I started reading up on this, that 25% women in perimenopause, they experience fibroids and the heavy bleeding at, at, like I am. And I didn't yeah. know, nobody tells you this. You know, it's very interesting because we do a lot of studies just to see what is the average in like in a population of something. So in women, there's almost about 70% that actually have fibroids, but they just sit there and they don't do anything. If they don't do anything and you don't even know it unless you go end up getting an ultrasound for other reason or something. So fibroids can sit there and be benign and do nothing, mm-hmm. or they can cause all the problems that you're having, or they can mm-hmm. cause pressure or they can cause pain. And each one of those symptoms dictates how you treat it. So I would do something different for someone who has pain and pressure versus bleeding, you know? Mm-hmm. So there, uh, uh, that's why I don't have a single answer to give you. I really got to look at the whole picture to like, to help with that or give my opinion, but yeah. second opinions, third opinions, especially if you're going to have surgery, I think there's no shame in it. You know, I used to, even for myself or my mom, I would just be like, Oh, I don't want to upset the doctor. Who the hell? cares they're not gonna know we're so busy do you really think i'm sitting here remembering every single patient if she went to someone else i want the best for you so find what's best and right for but you. dr shaw i'm gonna say this because i can tell you're there's certain people that and well let's be real should not be in the medical field i do you're, i do understand that yeah yes. you're and um, i can tell i already know it there's certain people that shouldn't and and but there's also people like you that genuinely care and are in this for the right reasons. But what what I think is, yeah, that you are your own best advocate. This is you your are. body. So yeah. no matter what a doctor says. So I'm going to give you an example. I went to get a um like a like a IV. So because I was feeling bad, right. the girl that was giving it to me had to poke me like three times to find a vein. She, I was noticing like she wasn't, she kept dropping stuff. The bag had to be like the tubing on the bag had to be replaced three times. I kept thinking to myself, get up and leave. Get up and leave, leave, Megan. What are you doing? Uh, And the part of me that we all know, the, the female, the, the, what we're taught from a young age as women is we, we are afraid to, to be our own advocate or we're afraid to speak up for ourselves. So I sat there and I'm like, why did I just go through this? I left. I was so mad. I felt violated. I, the girl was rude to me and I didn't get up and leave. And it really has, it really bothered me. It's so, that is, you are so right. And that is so what women do. Yeah. We are different. I mean, the way that we think, the way, I mean, you're right about the Barbie show. We, we just think about the world different because the world reacts to us differently. 
And we um, say sorry, by the way. I caught myself. Oh, all the time. I caught myself saying sorry. And I think my one of my good friends recently told me, she's like, I don't say sorry anymore. I am notorious for saying sorry. Like in the grocery store, if somebody bumps yep, my cart. You. <laughs> sorry, I'm so sorry. And this is this is what this all goes hand in hand with being your own advocate. Yeah. Like being going into your old like I hate saying older years, but into your prime. Let's call it Yeah. I like it. The prime change. Yeah, like we're going into our prime and we should be able to be our own advocates for our own health and not say sorry anymore. So I'm telling my listeners that. Um, no more stories. But as far so I'm going to see you about my fibroid situation. But as far as all of these symptoms of perimenopause and menopause, the hair loss. Thank God I have Irish hair, so that I, that hasn't affected me. The hot flashes have not affected me. But there's a lot of women out there that are losing their hair. They're angry. All the things I talked about. What do you tell women about that? Well, okay. First of all perimenopause is also one of those things that's like the hardest time I think mm. why because you're still kind of young like it can start in your late 30s like 38 I have 38 39 year olds that are even if I bring the word up I have to be very careful kind of because it will insult them they're like what the hell do you mean that I may be having hormonal changes but it does if people think it's just 50 to like whatever 55 no menopause and perimenopause can last 20 years, can even last longer. I have women that are in their 70s and they're like, why am I still having hot flashes? Well, there are, there, there's like a, probably about 20% that stay still um, having hot flashes really late. Um, so nobody ever knows. But perimenopause is so hard because the world doesn't look at you still or you don't look at yourself as like kind of in that change period. And yet you're experiencing such crappy feelings, feelings that you can't really even point to. You just, you're tired, your body aches. Oh, well, maybe because I'm in the prime of my career, I'm working too hard. I have my kids and my work and my parents. Like I'm, you know, that sandwich life where you're in between taking care of people. Like we'll make every excuse as to why our body is hurting or why I can't sleep or why is sex hurt? I've been with my husband too long or not long enough, or he's too big or he's too small or whatever. It Mm -hmm. just, it hurts. And I don't know why, and I'm not enjoying it. Um, my hair is falling. My skin is dry. I'm growing a beard. I'm growing. Oh yeah. The beard. Yeah. That's all. Thank God for uh, dermaplaning ladies. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, I'm Persian, so we, we have hair everywhere (laughs) except my tongue. That's the only place my mom said doesn't grow hair. So, um, it's a really hard time. And I usually sit down and I have to figure out what are the things that is bothering you. Like, for example, you don't have hot flashes, lucky girl, because it's horrible. It's horrible. You're putting on your makeup and it just drips down. I can't even like lips. But, is the only but, thing I can but let me ask you this. Maybe I'm not having them now because I'm not in menopause. Are they going to, could they start? Cause yeah. I, I have two yeah. older sisters and my my one older sister, nothing, but she was yeah. also on birth control forever and still is on a low dose. Yeah. My other sister, she's like, it was so unbearable that like, I couldn't sit in me. I was, I've, I've seen these people that have yeah. like fans on their phone, you know, when they go out cause they're yeah. in the thick of menopause. 
I feel horrible for her and these women that go through this. It's awful. And then you have to wear like clothes at, at an office where you're just like sweating and you just, you feel awful all day. So anyway, though, the point is, is that those who have different symptoms, we really, I try to approach it personalized. Basically, there's mm. not one thing for each person. There's the number of hot flashes you have to see if you're severe or you're, you know, uh, or not severe, because then we try to figure out what estrogen amount would be good for you. Or if you don't like that, there's all this new medication. There's some old medication. We have seizure medication. I know it sounds crazy. People are like, this is used for seizures, but gabapentin does work for hot flashes. For some people, some people it doesn't. This is the thing. We're all different. And None of this is exact for each person. Some of it is trial and error. Some of it is really, the, this is kind of the fun art of medicine, I feel like. This is the part where I'm trying to figure out the puzzle of what is that fits for you. There's all these, you know, online hormone replacement things that are really kind of disturbs me because mm -hmm. they get you to do some questionnaire and then they send you this, the standardized medication and it's just like no one's monitoring you. No one checked your uterus. What happens if you do have abnormal bleeding that could be possibly endometrial cancer? Who then takes care of it? There's nobody online that's going to be responsible, right? I mean, but this is the problem with, sorry to talk, but yeah, this no, is the problem with social media and TikTok and Instagram. And I'm notorious. I'm like, what is that cream that I yes. just enter my eyes and be 30 years younger? Um, <laughs> We, we, as a society want a quick fix. Yeah. This is not a quick fix situation. So like you said, putting, I know what company you're talking about. I may or may not have ordered it and gone. Yeah. I can't, <laughs> it's I can't all good. That. That's not good for me. Why would you do that to your body? Like that, it makes, it's scary. That's very yeah. scary. I'm yeah. very surprised that this is happening in America where every, medication is so controlled. I don't know how this is being allowed to like just send out these medications. I mean, it started with Viagra and stuff being uh, online. So I think, I guess we are to follow um, with whatever they do. But in general, what I say about horm if you're going to do hormone replacement therapy or any therapy is that it's not like, here you go, that's it, bye-bye. Your body changes. This might be good for you this year, but next year your body's going to change. You need different dosing. So I, I think it's it's a work in progress. I don't think of it. So I do have patients that come in. They've been on the same dose for like seven years. No mm -hmm. one's checked them. No one's asked. It's just kind of like, ooh, I'm okay. I'm not sweating profusely. But, you know, no one's talking about my hair loss and my pain with sex. Like they've been, one symptom has been managed and then no one's checked. And that's a problem too. This is, that's, I don't think of this as that kind of, um, it's not a disease. I don't think of it as a solution for this problem that we as women are having. It's not a one shot thing. So, um, so the, the answer to your question is I have to ask each patient, what are all your different symptoms to try to help them? So a lot of the old medications that work on some people, there is an antidepressant that is an SSRI and an NSRI, which is um, Effexor or Venoflaxacin. I don't know if, if I can say brand names, but anyway. Um, so those can work because they can hit both depression and hot flashes. You know, um, the thing is with hormone replacement is even if you do hormone replacement, your vagina will still be dry. Let me tell you, that does not fix the vagina. For some reason, our vagina does not get the, the body's estrogen, even patch or pill or any of that stuff. 
And so you do need the supplement of vaginal estrogen cream. Vaginal estrogen cream is the best thing ever. I wish I would have taken stock in it because that just, it changes your vagina. It changes pain. It, it decreases urinary tract infections. It decreases, decreases urgency, leaking of urine. I mean, it does so much if you put it on right. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. This time of year is the worst. I feel like I can't do anything and I can't enjoy my dinner because I can't taste my food and I can't work out because I feel tired and distracted. I can't even feel like I can host this show because my voice sounds like a duck. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D designed for serious allergy sufferers. Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. I feel like I've been using Claritin D for probably a few months now, and I have really noticed a difference. I can work out. I'm not feeling like my eyes are watering and my nose is all stuffed up. I can speak without feeling like a frog has jumped into my throat. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. And that's okay. I have a question about that because that is that was one of my questions. Women as as we go into these stages, so like say you're in your 20s and 30s, never had a yeast infection or any of these like kinds of things that I've read are very common urinary tract infections. Why is that? Why do women have an increased um, chance of getting these infections now in these fun years? Okay. So the reason is, and this is, we're so understanding this right now, and this is why we're so different than men. So the outside of our vagina and the outside of our our urethra, which goes to our bladder, that part came from one origin of cells, like when we were becoming a human. As these cells came up, the uterus and the inside of the vagina actually came from a different set of cells. They came and they attached to each other and they all became one, but they're not one. So the outside of our vagina is different than the inside of our vagina, which is like crazy. And so the outside of the vagina, the urethra and the bladder are very receptive to the changes that happen um, with Uh, menopause and and hormones. And what happens is, so cells have a lot of fluid around them, each cell. So if you have a whole bunch of cells, think of it like you have a big, puffy, nice uh, piece of tissue, right? So it's Mm -hmm. nice and soft and thick. So all the nerves are way down below this thick piece of tissue. Now all those, when we say atrophy, that means the cell's water is going away. It's not that necessarily, oh no, but I, you know, I, um, I lubricate when I have sex. That's not a problem, but it still hurts because it's not about when we say, are you dry? It's not dry. Like you don't, you don't lubricate. It's dry in the cells. So as the cell loses its water, it becomes flat. Now the vagina tissue gets flat. And so these nerves are kind of now not protected by anything. So what happens with this is now it hurts because you're hitting these nerves as you're having sex. And bacteria have a little, like E. coli and Klebsiella are the two main bacteria for urinary tract infections. They have this little thing called a pili that like attaches. 
they attach to thin tissue better than a thick tissue. When it's thick, they can't attach. And that's why we get urinary tract infections This more. is such bad news. Like, I I wanted something that, I'm joking. <laughs> no, it, no, all, it all makes sense. It all makes but sense. But estrogen cream fixes it. So okay. estrogen cream thickens the tissue in three months. It doesn't happen overnight, but it takes it three months and then your tissue becomes thicker. Now the nerves go down. Now it doesn't hurt. Now the bacteria can't hold on. So it's like a miracle that we haven't been using enough. Here's the other part of it is people are given these estrogens to put inside the vagina. And then they're like, well, this isn't working for me because the inside of the vagina is different than the outside where the urethra is. This is my big thing. That's why creams work better than suppositories. So you're putting a suppository in there where that's a whole different tissue and that's not your problem tissue. Your problem tissue is right on this outside, right where you enter. Yeah. And so I use it locally. You put on your finger and you actually put it on the area that needs to get thickened. It works where it touches, which is amazing. And that makes all the difference. It well, really does take three months. This makes though. sense because the statistic is the highest um, divorce rates happen in couples during the years of perimenopause, menopause, because women, we are our hormones have changed. We have no interest. I mean, yeah. I, I, I still think that my husband, if he can hear me, cause he's downstairs is a big <laughs> giant honk and I love him and I'm attracted to him. But as years go on, this is all normal. And then we're made to feel like there's something wrong with us right. because we're not like wanting to have sex three, four times a week or some right. women, not at all. Right. So, right. so well, that makes sense. Why I mean, first of all, if you're having pain, so for women, yeah. sex is here as well as there. Yes. You know, so if you're anticipating pain, that's already going to decrease your libido because you're mm -hmm. just like, Shit, I don't want to do this. Right. Now, the estrogen cream, once that takes that away and you can actually trust that you're not going to have pain, that in itself improves just the the desire to have pain but it is true that if you don't use it you lose it so what happens i have a lot of women um, especially white women i don't know what exactly is different with the tissue i don't know if it's the collagen mix or whatever but if you don't have sex for a really really long time the vagina actually does start attaching to itself and closing I've had to surgically open vaginas, yes. So, but we first use vaginal estrogen cream. If the vaginal estrogen cream doesn't work, then we have to open it. So, I'm in shock right now. I never knew this. Wow. So, if you have to use a toy, do it. Because mm -hmm. why? Because every time you orgasm and you you have that, blood vessels come in. The tissue gets healthy. That's why it's good for women to have sex. It even if it's not with a man or a penis, it doesn't matter, you know, just something going in to keep the tissue open um, and, and just bringing the blood vessels to the area. Well, so this makes sense though, because as we, as women, we, when we have sex, right, this is when you're young and you're, you want it, like you think you want to get married and you're in high school and you have a boyfriend and you're like, we're going to be together for the rest of our lives. Right. Right. You, we're taught or it's just in our bodies that we want to like make a family, have a home, feel safe, love our partners. And men are not like that. They're just like, I want to have sex, be done. Not like, they're just not, we're, di we're very different. And there's a whole, so different. there's so it's many books about it. But, I know, it really is. Yeah. But 
I think like I'm thank God happily married and we're okay in that department. But I know because I have older sisters. Sorry, I shouldn't probably be talking about this. Hopefully they don't listen. No names, no names. No names. That, you know, as you get older, this this is a major issue for people. So the estrogen cream you have yeah. to low with that. Um, so go ahead. So also, so you know. Women don't know their anatomy that well. They think they do, but like I ask them to point for things when we're doing it and they get it completely wrong. Most people think their urethra is where their clitoris is. They're just confused. But anyway, so some of the cream on that clitoris will also help in bringing blood vessels. So that's what estrogen does. So that's kind of like the first line I would do if you're having like low sex drive and all of that stuff. The second thing, I mean, the last resort would be some testosterone. Testosterone, that male hormone, you can also use that to just kind of give you a little pep up if, if we haven't gotten it. Antidepressants. I know people hate even hearing the word, but the reality is if we're depressed, we're not going to want to have sex. We just aren't, you know, and we will get depressed during this time. It doesn't mean that you're in deep depression and you're sitting in your house not doing anything. You're just kind of a Ugh. you're just not where you were and it's hard because your body's tired and you're not sleeping which makes depression worse and you have so many responsibilities and you're not feeling like you're good at any of it because there's just too much I mean this is the world we live in this is what we do now we're not just moms and you know wives and all that stuff we're also like the head of corporations and the CEO and I still have to go home and the kid's gonna still come to me and you're also I'm assuming an uber driver like myself yeah exactly yeah <laughs> So true. And, and, you know, it's so funny because I have a son and a daughter and you can just, I mean, she's going through all the ups and downs of puberty and he's just chilling. He's just yeah. chilling. He just, I'm like, oh my God, he's so easy. I love being around him because it's so easy. And she's so hard. Well, that's what we are. And that's yeah. what the community and society sees us. We're difficult. We're complex. It's hard as much as I love her, but it's a lot of work, right? So we have to help ourselves because we need to get to a place where we're, we're comfortable and we're happy in our body. And, you know, we, we do get these external aesthetic stuff to make ourselves feel better, but let's, let's really go down deep and make ourselves truly be younger at heart and, and, and just, it's not a matter of young, but it's a matter of health. Like, honestly, it's a matter of health and being comfortable in your body and a day to day. That's what we all you, want. And I feel like it's a disservice that we all feel like, oh, well, like this is how, what's going to happen. Right. I'm just going to age. I'm going to be unhappy. I'm going to gain weight, right. which right. we're going to talk about before the end. And I just, am going to have this gut it's going to be impossible. So when I was young, I was a, I was an actress or I was a singer and an actress and I could eat salads five days a week and drop like 10 pounds. Now it's impossible. And so I'm going to, I'm going to say one thing. So, and I've been open about this on the podcast. So I am on a semaglutide and I think that this goes hand in hand with all of this is like as women, the physical stuff, like we're willing to take the semaglutides and not talk about it and be quiet about it. But suddenly we're looking better than ever and we're in mm -hmm. perimenopause and menopause. But you're, if you're losing weight and your insides, you know, you're not having sex with your husband, you're in traffic and you want to like give everybody around you the middle finger, like I do this, you have to like, 
you have to make this across the board. That's just my point. It really, it right? really is. Yeah. I mean, it's a day-to-day improvement. I mean, most women that I, that I, once they start, I'm going to keep going back to hormone therapy because it is the best. It will treat it the quickest. It will address everything. So it is, it's the way to go if you can. If it's, if you're scared of it still, like all this conversation doesn't make you feel better about it, there are other options, but it's just going to, you're going to have to do four or five things to get the benefit of just estrogen, progesterone. But there are out there, I want you to know that it's not, you're not confined to hormone therapy to make yourself feel better. Um, But you have to be open to taking some medications. I mean, the herbal stuff, some of it works. I have patients that are on black cohosh and will swear by it. The studies don't show it, but how much studies do we really have on anything that has to do with women, really? So the studies are not showing it. Evening primrose, black cohosh. I mean, there are, I have to say that those two have been really studied and we haven't found the benefit, but every body is different. Why is COVID different on different people? It's just different. We have to accept that just because the studies say that doesn't mean that's what it's going to do to me. Yeah. So, um, so, you know, if herbal is the way you want to go, there's stuff out there. There's made out of bee pollen called, um, uh, relizin that my sister took that. Okay. Because she's a smoker. Now remember this smokers specifically have a higher risk of cardiac, cardiac problems, stroke and, and, um, and, uh, heart attacks because now that blood that was already slow because you're getting older becomes even slower when you smoke. So smokers have a higher risk. And that's why everyone's kind of like, doesn't want to put smokers on any kind of real hormone replacement. So anyway, she's taking um, Relizin and it really helped her. I mean, she was like sweating in front of me. Couldn't, now she still gets hot flashes, but not to that severity. So that's, my point was, don't think that hormone replacement therapy is the only, but it's the best. And it happens the quickest. Really, for the sake of time, because I could talk to you literally for three hours and my audience, and you would probably be like, bye, Megan, I need to go at some point. (laughs) Um, I love this stuff. What what about some of the newest stuff? So I was on somebody else's podcast yesterday, and we were touching on this exact topic, because I was like, oh, I'm so excited to talk to Dr. Shaw tomorrow. Um. I want to know about the pellet because everybody seems to be talking about this pellet and how it's changed their lives. Can you go into like that or? Sure, of course. Okay. Um, okay. So first of all, um, the North American Menopause Society, that's NAMS, uh, American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology, and really basically all of the um, academic institutions do not agree with pellets. And here's why. One, there's not enough studies on it. Two, you're putting something in your body that's very difficult to remove. And that is making that assumption again that your body is going to stay at one at one dosing. So how is that good? Like once you put the pellet in, you can't take it out. Very difficult. And so how much have you already tried? How do you know that this is the right dose for you? So that's making that assumption that one thing fits the other person. Any hormones that I put in your body, you're going to feel better. So people say it changed their life just because it is hormones, but they don't even realize like how much more they could get, like how much better they can get if we tweaked it, if we went a little higher on this and we went a little lower on that. And that's, pellets does not allow that to happen. Also, pellets is a big money maker. Mm-hmm. It's 
cash. Very, expen very expensive. Every, yeah. every doctor who's doing it is, I'm sorry. I, I, I want doctors to make money because honestly, we make a lot less than people. Yeah, imagine. insurance has, and yeah, yeah, yeah. And I want people to have hormones. So I, I want both the patients to have access and the doctors to, you know, to do well. But the truth is, it's a moneymaker. And so we can do what we're doing with FDA-approved medication, which takes us now to the other concept that's big out there, is bioidentical. What what does that mean? What does that mean to you? You tell me, Megan, what you think that means um, to you. I no, I do not understand what that means. And I'm sure, and also just to go backwards, I don't know if my audience knows what the pellet is. I just know from other women that are like, I'm on the pellet. And I'm like, what is a pellet? What does that mean? It got put in your skin and there's hormones in it. That's all I yeah. know. I don't so it's know. Like a little, yeah. So imagine taking a little pill uh -huh. and putting all the hormones that you need that slowly gets released and sticking it under your muscles. And that's it. So they take your little muscle and they they put the um, the pellet inside. And but it's it just, just one dose. It's all like an yeah, even it's dose. It's all the same, but it just slowly, slowly releases throughout whatever amount of time. Like the the um, so there's different pellet companies, and so their formulations are different. And so um, that's really that's that's as much as I know about pellets. That's what the pellet is. But then bioidentical hormones are hormones that your body naturally makes. This is just me thinking I'm a Right. Doctor. Exactly. Okay. And this is what people think. Well, I'm not saying that you're wrong. Mm -hmm. It's just people somehow throw this word around like, oh, I'm on bioidentical. I want bioidentical because they think somehow it's better. Like it's the more natural way. And it's fine. It's okay. So, okay, let's, let's start with what are hormones. So, Hormones, the molecular structure of hormones starts with cholesterol. Cholesterol is actually where our hormones start. Then this cholesterol gets aromatized is what we say. So it loses parts of its, um, parts of its molecule and becomes est estrol, estradiol, like different forms of estrogen. And it also becomes testosterone and estrogen becomes testosterone. So it's like a little pathway. Okay. So bioidentical just means that someone took, um, hormones from soy or a plant, they looked at the molecular structure and they made exactly that structure to create what, what medication we give you. That's really all it means, which is everything that's out there is pretty much bioidentical. So they're really, the, the term is a fallacy is what I'm trying to tell you. So any estrogen that we put out there is on one stage of this pathway and it's mm -hmm. identical to the body. And that's why the body uses it. So I just mean, don't go pay extra because somebody says it's bioidentical. Now there are a set of estrogens, medroxy um, uh, estrogens that are made from uh, uh, horse um, urine, pregnant horse urine. And those have a little bit of a different structure. Those were the ones actually that were used in the big uh, WHI study and people don't want to use that. And that's fine too. I mean, it, it doesn't matter in your body, the estrogen changes and goes through these cycles anyways. So it's not like one is better than the other in that sense. Okay. okay. So that's the bioidentical world, but now I want to talk about compounding world. Okay. What, so and what, and, explain what compounded means because okay. people are confused about saying compounded. Okay. So compounding means that, so the FDA takes medications, studies them extensively, and then puts them out on the market, 
okay? As much as I don't like the FDA, but that is what they do. They mm. try to keep it safe and they make sure that that pill that you're taking has only what it said it has. It doesn't have anything else and it has it at the same dosage. So every pill has to have the same dosage plus or minus 0.02 or something. So that makes it so that I know what I'm giving you as a doctor is going to be two milligrams. A compounded is a pharmacy that then takes what I tell them. I say, put two milligrams of this and three milligrams of that and five milligrams of this, and then mix it all together and make it into something that my patient can take. So here's where all the errors can happen, right? That I can be giving a wrong a number. The pharmacist cannot put it together completely. There's nobody checking it. No checking, right? Mm -hmm. So they have found, they did studies to see that compounded medication can be anywhere from 2% to 200% of the medication. Like that's how wrong it could be. Like I could be giving you too little or I could be giving you too much and I can't make that judgment because then I change it. So there's nothing that is standardized about it. That's the difference. So American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology, again, does not recommend compounding. Now, compounding does work for certain things. So for example, if I've gotten to the highest dose of like allowed FDA possible medication and I want to add a little like something else to it, I can use a compounding pharmacy to supplement, you know, but, but it shouldn't be first line. Other, other things, if it's creams and gels, some people are allergic to the base of whatever the FDA has. So sometimes I compound because of that. But I'm never very comfortable because I don't know 100% that you're getting 0.2 milligrams yeah. for me to make a judgment that next time I should take you up or bring you down, right? So those are the differences. So the FD, we have so much out there that's covered by insurance and that is FDA approved, which means it's gone through thousands of studies, thousands of studies, and it's standardized. So there's patches, there's pills, there's creams you can put on your hand, and um, the difference between them is our pills. The pills go directly into your body system and get uh, cleared through the liver, okay? So if you go through the liver system to get cleared, that means that you have a higher risk of causing blood clots because that's where the, the clotting mechanism is, is it's in your liver. So that's why patches and creams are a little bit better for people because they don't go through the liver system, so they don't affect your clotting. And also, if you are a Chardonnay drinker like me, I don't want any more damage to my liver. Okay, yeah, that's 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 the way to go. Yeah. Does, that, does the patch and the creams do they do they get processed through your kidneys? How do they get processed? Yeah, I mean, exactly. So there's yeah. there's different directions that they go. I mean, somehow they all have to get processed and get out of your body. Yeah. And it's which organ that they affect. Now, it's not always affecting it negatively. It's just because it's going to the same place that's doing your clotting pathway that they interact. That's why the liver, it's not like it's damaging the liver. It's just going through there. And because the clotting pathway is also going through there, it affects it. Does that okay. make sense? Yeah. Got it. So, I, could, um, I could seriously talk to you all. Like I could, you, you would be like annoyed by me because I could talk to you for so long. Never. I love this stuff so much. And I, I, am so that you love I mean, you yeah. can tell. So Number one, how does my, how do my listeners find you? So you said in the beginning before we recorded that people, if you don't live in the Manhattan beach area where I live in the South Bay of Los Angeles, but I'm assuming you take pa patients from all over the LA metropolitan area, oh, yeah, Valley. So, so I love to see people. 
um, in person once, but we do do um, Zoom visits, um, so all over the country. I mean, I've had patients that I've Zoomed a bunch of times, and then we finally got to see each other, because I do like to look at your endometrial lining. Oh, that's a whole nother conversation to have, and I do like to, like, see you before we start so that I can get a sense of where we're going with your tissue, etc. But it doesn't have to be that way. So we do do it for all over. So I'm part of a program called Mindful Wellness. And Mindful Wellness is a program that Dr. Vivek Gupta started, and he's amazing. And um, it's all about looking at the patient as a whole and, and approaching their health um, more personalized than just giving you something standard. So he does that and there's mindful wellness in it. I mean, mindful weight loss, sorry. So that Mm -hmm. weight, he does a lot of weight loss stuff and there's mindful weight loss for kids. And then there's me who's doing the mindful menopause. So all three programs are like a, it's like a monthly thing and you're, you have access to us. You have access to me as a, as an MD, uh, once a month we do, um, um, we do appointments. And then in the middle, you can access me and ask any questions, of course. And then there's also health coaches, um, dietitians, nutritionists, like it's a whole program and support. Honestly, we kind of need support. Now people are, I'm really busy all the time. I'm thinking I can't add this one more thing to myself, Mm -hmm. but this zoom world has really changed being able to do more things. So you can access all of our programs with zoom and, you know, kind of do it at, at your, how you want it. I mean, we do Zoom sometimes Saturdays at like, you know, eight o'clock at night. So like, it's very flexible to try and help us women get ourselves together. What about if somebody wants to follow you on social media, where do they find you? Oh gosh, I'm the worst. I've never had Facebook. I've never had Instagram, but I am, we are working on that right now. Okay. So this is, this will, by the time this comes out on Tuesday, I will have this in the show notes on Apple, Spotify, Amazon, wherever you stream the podcast, you can find her that way. And then in closing, Dr. Shaw, is there anything that you want to close with? Is there like a like best tip, best advice that you could give a, a, a woman that's going into her prime, like myself? I just, I think that women, we have an amazing intuitive sense of what we need. We just need to listen to it. And when you don't feel right and good, do something about it. You can't be the mother you are or the worker that you are if you're not taken first. And that's a huge thing that I know I had to overcome to believe that I'm important and I got to take care of myself. And this, this menopause, perimenopause is really our test because it affects all of us. It affects our mind, our body, our, our relationship. It's not just one thing. And I just, I just want us to listen to our bodies because you're the only person who really knows it. And, and, and be, be kind to yourself. Give yourself some grace. I love that. Everyone, thank you so much for listening. And... Don't forget, be happy by making other people happy. Thank you, Dr. Shaw. It was awesome meeting you. Thank you. It was awesome talking about it. Judging Megan with Megan Judge.